You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, this is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor, Columbus Business First, and the new host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business, in which we talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, I'm excited to have Kareen Berger, the Columbus Location Leader for J.P. Morgan Chase. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm super excited about being here. Well, I really appreciate it, and I know that that's just one of your titles that I mentioned. So yeah. if we could start, if you could just give me the 30-second elevator pitch of what all you do for J.P. Morgan. Yeah, so I work in our asset and wealth management businesses and our consumer and community banking businesses. I'm, uh, They call it a control officer, but I'm an operational risk officer for those two businesses, and we do a lot of risk management assessments for the businesses uh, end-to-end. As well, I'm a managing director at the firm. And then, of course, you mentioned the Columbus site lead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. So how do you split your time between those responsibilities, especially kind of you know, leading the big presence that you guys have here in Columbus and also kind of handling all those broader things for the firm? I have a great team. <laughs> Without a great team, I don't think you could do all the things that you that you do. So I have a team that helps me with the things that we do here at the site. Um, I have a team that help, helps me with the two lines of businesses that I work on. Um, and the team's in not only a national team, but an international team. So mm-hmm. it's a global team. I travel a bit too. I'm in New York pretty much every other week. This summer has been uh, a little bit lighter, so that's been nice. But it's important to be, you know, kind of where the senior leaders are for the mm-hmm. firm. So mm-hmm. I, I do try to uh, make it to New York uh, every other week. I, I try to stay one or two nights, stay three days. People think I'm there all week. It works out really well. Yeah, yeah. If you do kind of like Tuesday, kind of middle of the That's week. That's what I do. <laughs> because Monday, people don't realize you're not there. Fridays are, you know, light days. But if you're there Tuesday through Wednesday, they think you're there the whole week. So <laughs> it works out really good. And people are like, are you always in New York? No, just four nights a month. So works out pretty well. And has that, have you traveled a lot for most of your career? I have. I've, I've always um, traveled a bit. It's, it's waned here and there where I couldn't travel. So I have four children. Mm-hmm. I always say that's an, another one of my big accomplishments that I had <laughs> while I've been working at J.P. Morgan Chase. And so there were times where I couldn't travel. But there were times that I traveled quite a bit. When we were acquiring a few companies, I was out of town um, sometimes you know, multiple weeks at a time. So, you know, you need a lot of support 
um, around you if you're going to do those kinds of things, especially if you have children at home. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things I'm a little self-conscious about because I hate ask. I hate that women are the only ones who get asked this question, but how did you kind of handle, especially when your kids were younger, balancing having such a demanding career and, you know, being there for soccer practice or whatever? Yeah, I, I mean, I was super lucky that I had a great family support. My mom would take the kids sometimes, and she loved it. She would be like, okay, great, are you leaving so I can have the kids for a whole week? Which worked out great for the kids and for me. Um, and, and when they were younger, that was easier to do. When um, they got into school, it was a little harder. So, you know, my husband's extremely supportive, and he's had to fill in quite a few times when I've been on the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you feel about the fact that women only get asked that question? <laughs> You know, I I think you see it being asked more of yes, men recently, definitely. particularly as you were, were starting to provide paternity leave. And, and I do see, you know, more of that shift, you know, but I do think it, traditionally it's been, you know, kind of a, the, the women have been expected to be doing, you know, like that, the home care um, mm-hmm. side of it. It's, it's shifting over time, though. You definitely see it shifting right now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It's not so much that I mind that it's asked of women. It's more than I mind that it's not it asked, asked of men. men. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Well, I want to go back a little bit. So you, in your, you started your career as a CPA with Deloitte. Is I that did. Right? I was at Deloitte for six years. Gotcha. So were you always interested in finance as a kid? Sort of. How did you? So I come from a family of engineers. Um, my dad mm-hmm. was an engineer. His uncles were engineers. We always thought we'd go into engineering. That's what I started um, at Ohio State. It's, it's funny how I thought about moving into business. I thought it, I would have more career flexibility if I went into, um, I, I decided accounting versus engineering. I'm not sure that that really was, you know, it, one provided more flexibility mm-hmm. than the other. I was always extremely good at math and science. That was, you know, kind of the thing that I was good at. So I took a lot of math classes, statistics classes. I started as a double major in both computer information sciences and accounting, then I shifted just to accounting. So I didn't always know that that's what I wanted to be, but I always knew I wanted to have a family. So I wanted to try to find something that provided some flexibility with it. And through my career, I ended up just in a great opportunity to grow my career and, you know, things shifted over time Mm -hmm. and, and, and my thought processes changed. But going into accounting and starting in public accounting, what a great opportunity for a young professional. I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which wow. is where I started. Uh-huh. At the time, I was at Ohio State, and a lot of the folks that were in my class, which was an honors accounting class, we wanted to leave Ohio and <laughs> experience other things. A lot of us ended up coming back. Some some didn't. And we were encouraged to do that at the time, you know, kind of go out and explore, get experiences. And so I chose Phoenix because it was warm. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a great experience. When I was in Phoenix at the time, you know, I remember just, you know, kind of the male-female thing. Females were not allowed to wear pants to work at the time. Oh, wow. You had to wear a skirt and you had to wear a blazer. Mm-hmm. It, it shifted by the time I left uh, Deloitte, but that, that was in the, in the mid-'80s. But in Phoenix, it was like a boom town. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there were a lot of IPOs happening, a lot of which initial um, public mm-hmm. offerings happening. You know, there was a lot of building. And then by the early 90s, uh, it went through a, a down cycle. Mm-hmm. So I got to see the whole cycle mm-hmm. um, early in my career at Deloitte and, and working with lots of different companies. So it was a great experience for me. And then I decided I wanted to come back and be closer to family, which is what brought me back to Ohio. Gotcha. I want to 
follow up on a couple things that you mentioned there, one of which is that you wanted more flexibility, so you became a CPA at a big four firm. I know. Yeah, I know. Oxymoron kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it... it that, you know, I think things shift as as you um, you know kind of learn what possible you know what possibilities are out there for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I came from Canton, Ohio. I didn't. I you know I went to a big university at Ohio State. I didn't really have a broad view of what what was possible for uh-huh. me. Uh-huh. Um, and I think as I started to learn and grow and watch other people, watch other women, you know, in what they were doing and how they were balancing or not balancing and what I wanted to do. I, I'm a really, really strong people watcher mm-hmm. um, and try to figure out, you know, I want to be like that or I want to do this. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, it just helped form what I wanted to do. And I just saw, like, the possibility of being able to have a family and also to be able to have a great career. So mm-hmm. my, my time did shift or yeah. my thinking shift. <laughs> well, and I guess when you're a CPA, you uh, have a lot of flexibility in, like, May, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Supposedly, you're supposed to have flexibility in the summer. I never experienced yeah. that, but yeah, May is about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, well, and when you were in school and in those early days as an accountant, what was the ratio of, of women to men in your classes and in your early sort of like cohorts in the workplace? Yeah, so I mentioned I was in the honors program, which I didn't think I was qualified to do. I went and saw a guidance counselor, thank goodness, in my freshman year. And they said, you know, you have great grades. Why aren't you in the honors accounting program? And I said, I never thought I'd qualify for it. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, you qualify. You're in. It was about 75% male, mm-hmm. uh, 25% women at that time. You know, I think now I just read um, yesterday, I think, or this morning in the Wall Street that there are more college-educated women just hit the 50%, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, coming out of colleges. And a lot of those are coming out of the business programs. Mm-hmm. So accounting is um, much more tipping towards, you know, kind of the, 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 at least an equal ratio of mm-hmm. fe- female-male. But at the time, it was about 75-25. Was that something that had any effect on you, or was it just kind of this is the way that the world is or something you thought about a lot at the you time? You know, I didn't think about that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when I grew up, we never felt that, you know, like if, you know, I was good at math and science, my brother was good at math and science, I got better grades from him and I got better, you know, you know, my, my dad would give us little rewards <laughs> and I'd get a little better reward for him from him <laughs> because I got better grades. So I never felt like it was something that I shouldn't do. But I did see that guys are always a little more confident, mm-hmm. I think, than, than women were back in, the, in that day. And probably even for, you know, like for me. And I was just learning because I didn't have a lot of role models that were in the business world from where I came from. So it, it really took me to get out of school and into the, the business environment to find, you know, the women that were succeeding and how they were succeeding and the confidence and, you know, that they exuded. And, you know, like I said, I'm a people watcher. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are they doing? How are they doing it? And, and how do I, you know, exemplify what they're doing as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you talk about not necessarily feeling like you should be in the honors program. That feels like such a like imposter syndrome right. issue of like not realizing sort of that you are qualified for exactly. this thing. So exactly. it's great that you got over Yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is a big question, but I guess what do you feel like was the biggest sort of challenge that you faced earlier in your career as you were starting out, and how did you overcome it? 
I think I think with anything is what path are you going to take? Because there's so many choices. I started out when I started with the firm. So I've been with J.P. Morgan Chase for 28 years. I started out in an internal audit. Some folks might say, "Why did you start an internal audit? You were coming from a big, mm-hmm. you know, big four at the time. It was big eight. Um, Why did you start there?" And it was because I didn't know a lot about the industry. So I wanted to learn a lot about financial institutions. So I started there. But I knew pretty quickly, like, I wanted to get out of internal audit, and I missed, you know, kind of the financial reporting side of things. But I wasn't quite sure how to navigate the company. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't as big as it is today, which is, you know, 240,000 people, Mm -hmm. over a trillion assets. It's a big company to try to, um, you know, navigate and try to figure out which ways to go. So I quickly changed and got back into accounting, which, you know, in the corporate accounting sense, so I did a lot of the financial reports back in the day when corporate headquarters were here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. You know, so that helped me at least get grounded back in what I really like to do. And then I started the track around, you know, controllership and, you know, different lines of businesses and learning that way. And and was trying to figure out how to break out of accounting and get into something else and where to do it and why to do it. And I never, you know, I was always trying to look at various different ways. And then when um, we had some big problems that needed to be solved, I raised my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And that got me out of, you know, kind of the day-to-day accounting stuff and put me in a different track, which helped me, you know, kind of learn and grow and do some different things and, you know, learn what it's like to be in the boardroom. That that gave me that opportunity, presenting to senior management on a more regular basis and really helped growing your career So or my career as, as I went through it. But it is trying to figure out which zig or zag to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those are, you know, kind of, you know, risky mm-hmm. uh, and, and uncertain. uncertainty. I, I remember I got some advice really early in my career, which was, you know, take a chance and do something that you're that is totally different than what you're you're doing today. Because the worst thing that can happen is you go back and do what you're really good at. Mm-hmm. You know, so I tried to do that. You know, as as I went through my career and say, okay, I want to do that. I want to work on due diligence teams. I want to work on you know that particular integration effort. You know, I took some projects on that were short lived, and mm-hmm. those are risky because you don't know what you're going to do after a short lived project. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like you know, you, you may not have a job at the end of it and you're looking for another job, but those things help you grow a lot in, mm-hmm. in your learning and your career and just in your leadership development and your confidence too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being in this field where we don't really have project-based work, I've never really understood like how people do that kind of yeah. thing where you're just doing like Yeah, because you, you're, you're <laughs> really driving towards an end date mm-hmm. and that's the success is you know, getting the end date and getting your job over with. Mm-hmm. And then what's next? You have to have some faith in yourself, in your company, and, you know, kind of in what's next. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's in sometimes an unsettling feeling. Yeah. You mentioned raising your hand to take on big problems. Do you mean any specific problem or just kind of generally that was your attitude? Yeah, that generally that was my attitude. I, I was lucky enough in 2008 during the financial crisis to be in the middle of the Washington Mutual merger that we did, which that was one of the, I, I think it was the largest FDIC failure ever mm-hmm. that J.P. Morgan ended up acquiring. I was on that due diligence team. And when I was on that due diligence team, I, I had purview to see, you know, kind of other things that were happening around me, including Bear Stearns, you know, the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, 
uh, Wachovia was uh, was taken over during that time, and Countrywide was taken over at that time too. So there was a lot happening in that 2008 space, and I I, I surely raised my hand um, mm-hmm. during that. So uh, that caused me to be in Seattle for probably about three months mm-hmm. of 2008, and you know again, luckily I have just great support at home because that whole time period was really a blur, just in terms of you know the, the amount of work um, yeah. that was there. Were you scared or nervous at that time, or did you feel oh. like you all were in a kind yeah. of a driver's seat of that? Yeah, no, I, I, I um, well, what I was a little nervous about wasn't so much, you know, the firm, but the economy and what was happening, you know, with um, the financial institutions at that time. That was when TARP was happening and, mm-hmm. you know, Paulson taken over. And, you know, there was, that was a scary time in financial markets. Yeah. And you certainly weren't clear that the financial institutions might not go, you know, could Mm -hmm. go down. I felt very confident in J.P. Morgan Chase, but when everything around you is crumbling, you know, you're the last one standing. standing, It's (laughs) it's kind of a a little bit of a scary time, but I I was very confident in what we were doing, you know, what our focus was on. um, And I've been so fortunate at the, the company to work with incredibly bright people. And so, you know, like we all rallied together. We knew what we needed to get done. Um, we had done many mergers and integrations in the past, so we had a we had a pretty clear playbook of of what to do and how to do it. And it was completely energizing. It's just if you kind of step back and looked at what was going around you, it was a little scary at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. If you really thought about it, so. yeah. Whew. I think okay. uh, I remember J.P. Morgan stock, which today is trading around in the hundred, you know, low around a hundred. It, it was trading at nineteen at the time, oh my God. which you know. A lot of us had, um, you know, a lot of our wealth in the company, and it was a little bit scary. You mm-hmm. know, not only was it hurting you, you know, from from the economy, but in your job, but also financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're feeling okay right now? It's been a... Uh... Yeah, I feel okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Some scary headlines lately. But yeah. What is, what's the biggest challenge you're facing today? What's the hardest part of your job right now? Yeah, I think technology is changing so fast. The, the buzzword of the moment is... Yeah, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and how is that going to be used in the workplace? How is it going to be used, you know, as you know, with our customers? How do you think about data, and and how do you think about using that responsibly? You know, it is, you know, first of all, learning it and and understanding it. Growing up, you know, in financial institutions, it's all about data. Like we we have a lot of data. But what you can do with data these days is really incredible. And, you know, we see it every day when you're, you know, either on Facebook or Google or whatever is it's being offered to you. You're like, how did they know I want that? You know, like they just <laughs> The creepiest started, thing is they, when you were just talking about it. Yeah, but. right. <laughs> exactly. But those kinds of things are like real and near. And, you know, so it's like, how do you, how do you keep up with what's going on? You know, so I read a lot and... You know, tried to I, I, I subscribe to MIT Technology, mm-hmm. which is a quarterly publication, and it just like it's something that I can read, and you know I can uh, try to keep up with what's going on in terms of what's what's the latest thinking on on stuff. But it's it's a lot, and it's changing fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that something that I guess since you had that kind of interest in engineering, which is a little bit different, but math and science always like appeals to you right now or is it working in kind of a different part of your brain to keep up with the tech side of things? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think the other thing that has just 
you know, always defined me is I have this incredible thirst for learning. And, and that's why I think I've stayed at this company so long. It's so big. You can learn so many things. You can do so many different. I've, I've never been in the investment bank at the company. So I have a whole other career I could do if I wanted to um, in a different arm at the bank. But I do have an incredible thirst for learning. I remember early on when I started in financial institutions, I didn't know a lot of the regulations and I would go, I was in Dayton at the time, and I would go to the University of Dayton Library and just read regulations because I didn't know what people were talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always felt like I don't want to be behind, I want to be up. And, you know, so I'm, I'm always reading and trying to look for the next thing. You know, we have Google today, so I can be in a meeting, hear a term, Google it, kind of read it and then be able to interact. You know, doing those things today, just, you know, I'm, I think back on, you know, when I first started, I had to go to the library at night to learn it. Today, it's just right there. Mm -hmm. You know, so I do think having, you know, that incredible thirst for knowledge and, and learning and, you know, kind of what's next has always driven me. So I don't, I view it as like exciting, exhilarating and an opportunity to learn, you know, kind of what's next. But it's hard and sometimes I'm, I'm like, I can't quite conceptualize what it means. And so, you know, like I need people to show me, and, mm -hmm. you know, so I can see it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Kind of a big talker for women in business, I feel like is always mentorship. Um, is that something that has factored a lot into your career or, or not so much? And Yeah, I, I had, I've had a couple of really strong, everybody has strong, you know, mentors, I think, throughout career, whether it's a boss, whether it's um, somebody you've looked to, you know, at Deloitte, I had a very strong uh, woman audit manager. She was very picky about who would work for her, and she had really high standards, and I would just, you know, completely look up to her. And, mm -hmm. you know, I remember she told me once, because I was um, at work late by myself working on something that um, she had given me, and she came up to me, she's like, where's your team? I said, well, I let them go home. And she's like, Kareen. Expect from others what you're willing to give yourself, because if you don't do that, you will not succeed in the long run. Mm -hmm. She said, make sure your team's here tomorrow night with you. Oh, wow. And, you know, so, you know, she gave me some really good pointers on it, but I've always had lots of mentors. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, and even like some of the bad managers I've had have been great mentors because... I learned what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, I don't like that. But, you know, somebody's always got something that you can learn from them. Yeah. You don't get to the, you know, kind of stages of being, you know, successful in a big four or successful in a company like J.P. Morgan Chase without having some really strong attribute. So trying to find those folks, they've tended to be bosses, former bosses, mm -hmm. and I keep up with all of them. Stop in, find out what they're doing, you know, check in and... and you know, networking and mentorship is, when it's informal, it's natural, and is, is a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. What's the worst advice that you've ever received? Gosh, the worst advice I've ever received. I don't even know if I can remember it mm -hmm. because I'm not the type that if it's bad, you, you always kind of cr create something new out of it. Mm -hmm. Probably the worst advice was when I was... Earlier in my career, people told me, you know, you can just stay right where you're at. You don't need to move. You know, you can end up your career in, in the role that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I got kind of complacent and a little bit satisfied with that for not a long time, for a couple of years. And I'm like, no, I don't. This is not what I want to do for the rest of my career. And I can do a lot more things. And I, I think it was more of a self-serving advice mm -hmm. than advice that was good for me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and yeah, because they were your boss. Yeah, right. You <laughs> <laughs> Stay where you're at. Yeah, Don't move. Everything's great. 
And I did. I do find you know that that's kind of one of those things where you you look back and how do I change how I do? And you know, like I I would never tell someone that you should stay in your job and not try something different. And no matter how hard it would be on me as a manager, if there's a great opportunity for someone to do something, I will find a way to to get them into that position. Um, because it's great for them. It's going to be great for me in the long run because the more people I can develop that um, have come out of my team, the more people I have to tap, which are kind of my network. And, you know, a little bit of my network mm-hmm. is not only like the mentors that I've had, but the people who I've worked with. People often say, once you worked for Kareen, you always work for Kareen because I always go back to my my well and my resources and you know, try to have them help where when I have a problem. It's worked out great. People are doing some great things in the firm. Have you had anyone on kind of that mentorship question come to you and say, I want you to be my mentor, or is it more kind of naturally people that you're that are working for you that you develop those relationships with? People do that all the time. Um, and I will talk to people, but I do find where it's more natural, mm-hmm. it's better for both. Yeah. It's better for me to give, you know, the advice and um, also because I know the person. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, m- mentorship is not a one and done kind of thing. It's it's something that's nurtured over years and years. And you you get to know the person, you get to know how they tick, what's important. And when it really starts working well, it's it's really a great thing. But yes, I get asked all the time. I often ask people, you know, okay, come with a you know kind of an agenda of things you want to talk about. And you can tell pretty quickly whether it's going to last mm-hmm. longer or shorter. But I'm happy to talk to anybody about how to navigate a big company like, like J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. What is the, the number one piece of advice you would give a 22-year-old new grad of Ohio State and how to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, I'd say try to change jobs every two years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Learn as much as you can, as quick as you can. Employers will say they like to keep you in a job for every three years because I think the first year, both you and the company are, are, are learning. The second year, I think the employee gets the max out of the second year. The third year is the payback to the company. Mm-hmm. But from an employee perspective, if you could move every two years, you could learn so many different things quickly in your career. See lots of managers, You know, learn your style, learn your leadership capabilities, do those things early in your career. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that, worked for lots of different people during that time period, did lots of different projects during that time, so that when I got to a, a place to, to really uh, manage uh, people, I had seen lots of, of, of different uh, manager styles. So mm-hmm. I would say, like, move lots, learn lots, work for lots of different people. That's the employee side. The, 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 the pool side of it is the employer's going to try to keep you right yeah. where you're at for a period of time. That's, so is that something you facilitate? at J.B. Morgan, or or are you trying to keep people in their jobs for three years? Oh, I'm trying to keep people in jobs for three years, absolutely. <laughs> That's, you know, and I say realize my, you know, my goal mm-hmm. is to keep you right right where you are because I'm going to get the max out of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so my, my job, I think, in that third year is to try to figure out how do I continue to make that employee grow during that third year so it's not just the payback period. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, the longer you can keep an employee um, in, in, in a position, I mean, you do need to see different, you know, different folks look at, the, at problems different ways and you get different. I think the, the organization grows as a result of, of having different people in roles over time. So mm-hmm. it is healthy as well to get people to move out. Yeah. I have a friend who works at Exxon, and they rotate everyone every two years between different groups. Yeah. Like, and, which is interesting to me because, to your point, I'm sort of like, well, I feel like you're sacrificing some, like, return on that person. Y- you are. But they're trying to keep them the company. Yeah, but, but it does help. I think in the long run, it builds really re- well-rounded employees and um, strong leaders, too, mm-hmm. um, because you've seen so many different things in the company. Yeah. Well, and on that point, I, I know we write a lot about you guys have a lot of demand for talent um, here in Columbus and are, are hiring a lot. So sort of what are your biggest needs and what are you looking for uh, in people who want to come work for J.P. Morgan here? Yeah. So we have about 5,000 technologists here out of the 20,000 jobs we have. So we are a big technology company here in, in Columbus, Ohio. So we're always looking for technologists. Mm-hmm. We do have a good bed of talent and obviously, with Ohio State being at our back back door, we hire a lot of engineers and we hire a lot of um, finance students out of there. I think we had just over two hundred interns this summer with us at J.P. Morgan Chase, and you know, but but at the end of the day, it's not just those core technical skills. We, you know, we're looking for people who, again, have a thirst for knowledge, um, want to learn new things, are good problem solvers, um, like to work in teams. Because at the end of the day, it's all about people and interacting with people. So, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly looking for those kinds of skill sets. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, I want to circle back a little more about you at the end here. So you're originally from Canton, uh, yeah. you said? North Canton, yeah. Gotcha. Um, and, but when you came back from Phoenix, you came to Columbus. I, I started in Dayton for, oh, I was okay. in Dayton for two years and then came to Columbus. Gotcha. And I've spent the last 26 years here in Columbus. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what your life was like growing up in Canton. Did it feel small? Did it feel sort of just, what was it like? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was like, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. I had great friends. Um, we lived in, you know, a small town. I could walk a lot of places. Um, I had friends that were, you know, walkable and, you know, it was just, it, it felt safe. It was, um, you know, I went to a, uh, I think a smaller school. Um, I graduated with about 130 kids from mm-hmm. my class. And I remember when I graduated, I said, I want to go to Ohio State because it's a huge place yeah. and I wanted to see something big and I wanted to, you know, I, I joked that I wanted to be a number because I was, you know, so, so, um, you know, in such a small town in a yeah. small area. But it was a great place to grow up. You know, lots of opportunities to do various different things in terms of, you know, sports and education opportunities and it was just a great place to grow up. Did you like then going to Ohio State and being one of, of I loved it. <laughs> I, I just dropped my son off at Morrill Tower on Saturday and I was uh, reminiscing that uh, you know 35 plus years ago I was going there myself in Morrill Tower and I just loved being in the tower. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I met so many people from all over the place. It was just, it was super fun. And mm-hmm. there was like, you could study or you could go out anytime you wanted to. Uh-huh. You know, there were people there all the time. And I, I, I loved 
my time at Ohio State. Is, uh, um, so now I'm going to out myself as a Columbus neophyte. Is that one of the towers that's it by is. the stadium? It is. Okay. It is like gotcha. the, the dreaded towers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. They, uh-huh. were, they were really great. Because, again, you get to meet a lot of people. And, yeah. and I love that. I, I actually um, posted some pictures this weekend and tagged all of my college roommates. And we were like, oh, what a great time that was. Uh-huh. It was really fun. I remember when I graduated from high school, one of our valedictorians in his speech was like, you just finished the best four years of your life, or we just finished the best four years of our life. And my brother, who's like 10 years older, uh, afterwards was like, got to tell that kid, college is pretty awesome. It is pretty <laughs> awesome. It is pretty awesome. You know, you can control your own time. I mean, of course you have to study, and, and but, but it is your choice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it is your choice um, as to what you do. And to have that much freedom that young, it, it was really awesome. And then, so you go to Phoenix, and then you come back to... To Dayton and to Columbus, did they feel small after having been out in Phoenix amid a boom? Yeah, it it, it did feel small. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I at first I I was like, why did I come back to Columbus? <laughs> or maybe predominantly Dayton. Why did I come back? You know, it, it was great to see a big city, and um, you know, I remember my commute was about an hour mm-hmm. um, each way. Unless I left before five thirty in the morning or left after seven thirty in, in the morning. When you were in Phoenix, when I was in Phoenix, wow. um, which many times I did do both of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, left before five thirty and left after seven thirty, and then you know, kind of coming here and you know, just realizing it is really nice in Columbus. It's a very commutable place. The suburbs are amazing. Family life is amazing. You know, I I love being here. And, and they say, you know, Columbus is one of those places, it's tough to get people to move here, but once you get people to mm-hmm. move here, they don't want to leave because it is, it is a really, really great best-kept secret, and we need to, you know, tell people about the secret and, you know, bring more folks in, mm-hmm. into the space. And I do think that will help all of our companies. You know, we need more talent in, in Columbus. The city is booming. There's a lot of really great things happening in the startup community, um, in the technology community, um, we have some great financial institutions here nationwide, us and, and Huntington, and it's, it's just really a, a great place to grow a career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I think as somebody who moved here about six months ago, I did not know a ton about Columbus before I sort of looked into it. And then I was like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a boom town. It is you know, a boom like, town. Like some of these other boom towns. But yeah, I just think the branding has not sort of popped. Uh, we got to work on that. Anyway, we got to figure that out. <laughs> um, okay, let's do a bit of a, a lightning round on some personal stuff to close this out. So where will we find you on a free Saturday morning? We just bought a place up at Apple Valley Lake. I love it. So you will find me anytime I can up there on the lake, hopefully with all of my kids and my family um, up there with me. My kids are, I have one in, in Chicago. One is going to Notre Dame mm-hmm. and uh, two of them mm-hmm. are here. But if I can get them all down at the, the, the lake, it is just like the perfect day for me. Mm-hmm. I, just, I booed Notre Dame for no yeah. real reason there. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, I grew up in uh, Munster, Indiana, which is about half an hour from South Bend. Yeah. Uh, and, but my family was just anti-Notre Dame people for <laughs> life. Um, I've got two of them. So. Yeah, and, yeah. And my oldest is a double-domer. So. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So are you a Notre Dame fan now? You know, or? we always liked Notre Dame yeah. when we were growing up. So I'm super thrilled that they're there, mm-hmm. too. But I'm, I'm a Buckeye at heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you read much for pleasure? I, I'm one of these type of people who start lots of books <laughs> and get into... 
um, you know, get about 50 pages in and then go to the next book. So I'm halfway into Why We Sleep, which is a really interesting book about dreams and sleeping. I've started Leonardo da Vinci, which is a book that Walter Isaacson just um, mm-hmm. did. And I, I love, you know, like easy books like Nicholas Sparks books. Uh-huh. They're just easy. And mm-hmm. that's what you'll find me reading on um, when, when I'm on vacation. Yeah. Because it's, it's nothing technical. Mm-hmm. It's just just easy. Yes, yes. Yeah, my husband reads a lot of like long nonfiction, and I'm like, give me like a Gillian Flynn like, yeah. thriller <laughs> or whatever. I spend enough time reading actual things. What about TV or movies? Do you have um, any genres you like? I am, so the one I'm waiting for, the third season of The Crown. Yeah, Very excited I'm so about that excited. one coming out. I can't wait. But no, I am not a TV buff. I am not a movie buff. And, and I think it's just like two hours of my time mm-hmm. for, for a movie. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's, that's mm-hmm. how I think about it. And I'd, you know, I'd rather be doing some diff- something different with it. So I'm not a movie buff. Mm-hmm. Um, never have been. And the kids have missed, you know, some of the movies as they've grown up. And, and some, some people have said, how have your kids missed, um, you know, like uh, some of these movies? I'm like, it's not a movie. Yeah, buff, you know? it's yeah. Just too much time to take yeah. away. Have you seen the photos of the, the crown? The new cast. No, I have uh, not. Yeah, just um, last week they put of Helena Bonham Carter and. Uh, I loved what Queen the, Elizabeth. You know, the, yeah, the one that was in the first two Claire seasons. Yeah, 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 I loved her. Okay, now I'm blanking on the name of the woman who just won the Oscar, who's playing Queen Elizabeth now. But I was, I was heartened. I think they look great. So oh, good, I think good, it'll be good. Yeah, good. Uh, but I, I love that woman who played Princess Margaret, and I'm sad that she didn't. I feel like get to do that much of the real juicy Margaret stuff. Yeah, so, but exactly. But not about Carter. Okay. <laughs> On that front, if you could trade places with a celebrity for a day, who would you pick? Gosh. Um. You know, this is going to be a weird one, but you know, I think. Angelina Jolie is pretty interesting. It's kind of a weird one for me to pick, but she's like she's such a dichotomy. You know, she's she's a humanitarian, which I think would be just amazing to do some of the things that she's done. You know, I look at her family and it's just such a diverse family that mm-hmm. she has. And then she's kind of crazy too. Yeah. Um so she's kind of got like you know, she's not, there, there are other things that maybe I wouldn't expire to be, <laughs> um, but certainly if I think about her humanitarian side, the, the diversity of her family, uh, she's interesting. I'd like to kind of get in her head. Yeah. How does she think? You know, excise um, out the Billy Bob Thornton section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some of the tattoos and that, that could get that side uh, away. But there's, there's interesting things about her. Mm-hmm. Well, I could see thematically she's kind of changed phases every couple of years, much yeah, like you talk about yeah. changing I, different jobs. Exactly. It's all but an odd one for me to pick. <laughs> well, I think that's all my questions. Any other parting thoughts you want to leave us with? We already covered kind of your best advice. But yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I think I've, I've just been fortunate to be part of a company like J.P. Morgan Chase where, you know, they value women. And, you know, I think if you look at the firm, we've got you know, 40% women on our operating committee. It's just great to have those mentors, find mentors, find role models, and emulate them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just my best, you know, kind of wrap up. Great. Well, thank you so yeah. much, and thank you all for listening to thank Women of you. Influence.